Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are ready to read the uh, epistle or book of Philippians. Now, Philippians, well, let's start with Philippi. Philippi was a coastal town in eastern Greece, uh, along where they would call eastern Macedonia. It would have been, like I said, the eastern part of Greece, kind of like a you know how Florida has like a panhandle that sort of points to the west along the bottom of the coast there? Well, um, Greece has one that points to the east, kind of like that, and Philippi is in that panhandle. So, <clears throat> um, so that's where that is. It is like north. It's north and a little west of Turkey, I suppose, or the, you know, it kind of north of the Turkish coast. And um, that's probably the best I can tell you for where it is. I'm not a great geography person, but that I looked this up so I would kind of have an idea of where we're talking about. So that's where Philippi is. So this congregation was there, this group of believers. Now, Philippians was written, we believe, <clears throat> according to what we have here in the text, Paul was imprisoned. We think it's probably when he was imprisoned in Rome. He refers to some things that had happened in the past, though. And, uh, well, we'll just, we'll just get into that. But this, this appears to be a letter when he is imprisoned in Rome, okay? And you'll understand that when we get down into the text. So this is Philippians chapter 1. And Philippians only has like four chapters, so this is going to be pretty short. So bear with me. I'm going to try to glean. There's a lot here, though, so we're going to try to get what we can out of it and make sure we understand. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed, to all the saints, God's people, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace, inner calm, and spiritual well-being from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. So notice he's talking to the whole congregation, including, now he refers to the overseers, we would say our elders, and deacons, the servants that are helping out in the church. So, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always offering every prayer of mine with joy and with specific requests for all of you, thanking God for your participation and partnership, both your comforting fellowship and gracious contributions in advancing the good news regarding salvation from the first day you heard it until now. I am convinced and confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the time of his return. Now notice what he's saying here. He's saying that he is convinced and confident. <coughs> I'm very sorry. He is convinced and confident that he, God, who has begun this good work in you, meaning our salvation, you know, where he's talking to new Christians. You know, we've begun this work. We've started down this path. He says, I am convinced and confident that God will continue to perfect you and complete it. You know, working towards completion, continue to work and, com well, 
work to perfect you and complete it you know until working on that until the day that Jesus comes back okay and <clears throat> I, that is the way our Christian life is we start out as new Christians and we we work on being perfected through the word through prayer God works on perfecting us and helping us remove um, the old man and not walking in the old ways and but but changing to be the new man, to be more Christ-like, to follow Jesus, to follow God, and to take on the aspect of, of Jesus and God and do what they do. And really, to the largest degree, it is love like they love, loving and caring about everyone. That is that is the biggest thing, and that's the the core principle of it. So... So he continues on, It is right for me to feel this way about you because you have me in your heart as I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the good news regarding salvation, all of you share in his matchless grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus whose great love fills me. And this I pray that your love may abound more and more, displaying itself in greater depth, in real knowledge and in practical insight, so that you may learn to recognize and treasure what is excellent, identifying the best and distinguishing moral differences, and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, actually living lives that lead others away from sin, filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, so that his glory may be both revealed and recognized. So, this is Paul's prayer for them, that their love would abound, and that they would grow greater in the knowledge and practical insight of God, and how, how he loves and cares for everyone, and how we should be and follow him and act like him, and uh, you know, distinguish the, the moral differences. You know, treasure what is excellent in this life and the blessings that we have. There's a lot of there's a lot of just good things even in just his little prayer for them. And um he mentions that they share in grace with him. All of you share in his matchless grace with me, so we all share of course we do, we all share in God's grace. Um but I think I think they had sent to him. They had sent something to him in Rome. The, this kind of apply, implies there's a little bit of a a grateful attitude or thankful attitude to them. Like maybe they had written to him, or maybe they had offered to do something for him, or maybe they had even sent him a small something. Who knows? But um, you know, he was he was responding back to them. This wasn't just a letter that was sent out of the blue. So. Alright, so let's continue on. Now, I want you to know, believers, brethren, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment that was meant to stop me, and that's the idea. See, the Jews had gotten him imprisoned, and now he was in Rome, and he was in prison there, and this was meant to stop him in his ministry, has actually served to advance the spread of the good news regarding salvation. Which is, you know, this is the way God uses all things, you know, to... To our good, to his good, he uses all these things. 
My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become common knowledge throughout the whole Praetorian Imperial Guard, and to everyone else. So see, all the Roman Guard has heard of this and knows of this. Because of my chains, seeing that I am doing well and that God is accomplishing great things, most of the brothers have renewed confidence in the Lord, and have far more courage to speak the word of God concerning salvation without fear of the consequences, seeing that God can work his good in all circumstances. See, this encouraged the others. This encouraged others because they're like, well, Paul is imprisoned. They've got him under Roman guard. He's still spreading the word. He is still getting, <coughs> pardon me, he's still getting the gospel out there. So God is making a way for that to work. So he's, so everyone else is like, well, okay, there's no reason for us not to be out there spreading the word because God will find a way to make it work. There's no reason for us to, you know, be in hiding or not, or not be putting the message out there. So this encouraged them. Now here he continues on. Some, it is true, are actually preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry toward me for no better reason than a competitive spirit or misguided ambition. Now that is true. There's always people in the world who are, they're more concerned with competing with you and status and they want to feel like they are ahead of you or above you. The problem is when someone thinks that way, and I, I'm not saying this to be mean, but if, if you think that way, if someone thinks that way, you've already lost. Because that is not a spiritual thinking at all. That's a very uh, very shallow, a very worldly way of thinking. You're, you're thinking more materialistic. You're thinking more, you know, it's all about me, more selfishly. And that really is not the right way and the right attitude. However, I will say this. If you are preaching Christ because you're trying to compete with someone else, okay, fine, go ahead. Hopefully that will rub off on you and it will save you and help you and you will improve and you will become better and maybe you will, you know, do better than others. But if, you're, if your attitude is you're doing it in a competitive way, if you're doing it to uh, one-up someone else or to be better than someone else, you've you've missed the point. You've you've missed it entirely, and then and that's not not the way it is. Well, the the person who has the uh, the okay, let's say the preacher who has ten people in their congregation that takes care of them, preaches the word to them. You know, maybe they save a soul here or there, and maybe they're in some tiny town and little church and whatever. They are every bit as important as the preacher who has a thousand people in their congregation and they, you know, uh, have the big fancy church and, and, but, but let's assume that they're all sincere, okay? I'm not going to talk about insincerity here, but just assume they're all sincere and everyone's trying to follow God properly. Um, and, you know, he's doing the same thing. He's, he's teaching the word of God every week and he's doing, he is no better. He is no better. As long as all, all things, you know, everything else is good, um, he is no better than the guy in the small church. They're, they're all, they're both the same. There's really no practical difference. It's just a matter of circumstance that 
this small town has this small church, this congregation, just these few people. And this maybe this guy's in a bigger town, has a bigger, fancier church, and you know, he's just but but they're doing the same job, they're performing the same thing, they're taking care of their congregation in the same way as their preacher. And I'm saying that assuming everyone's being sincere and doing all the things correctly. And one is not really better than the other, and there's no need to be competitive about it. It's it doesn't further anything to be competitive. Anyway, getting off track here. Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, and then he says, but others, and others, he says, some are preaching out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill and a loyal spirit toward me. The latter preach Christ out of love, because they know that I have been put here by God on purpose for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ insincerely out of selfish ambition, just self-promotion, thinking they are causing me distress in my imprisonment. What then does it matter? So long as in every way, whether in pretense for self-promotion, or in all honesty, to spread the truth, Christ is being preached, and in this I rejoice. And see, Paul makes a good point. If, if the message is being preached, and Jesus is being preached, how bad can it be? I mean, that's that's a good thing. Now, admittedly, the insincere person may not have everything correct, but if you're exposing people to Jesus, that's pretty good. And hopefully, you know, hopefully that person, you know, because they're going to need to know scriptures, they're going to need to know about Jesus to preach Jesus. Hopefully they will, you know, that will rub off on them some. Anyway, let's uh, continue on. Because that verse, that sentence, these verses here, if you'll notice, one sentence ends in the middle of a verse, and then the next sentence starts, and then they have a verse break in the middle of that sentence. This is another one of those cases where things are just kind of broken up weirdly. 18 probably should have ended at rejoice there, but instead they tacked on the beginning of the next sentence. Just weird stuff. But anyway... I just point that out because I find it funny. Yes, and I will rejoice later as well, for I know with confidence that this will turn out for my deliverance and spiritual well-being through your prayers and the superabundant supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ which upholds me. It is my own eager expectation and hope that looking toward the future I will not disgrace myself nor be ashamed in anything but that with courage and the utmost freedom of speech, even now, as always, Christ will be magnified and exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's hoping that he can always have the strength of courage and spirit to not do anything to, you know, take away from or disgrace, you know, um, Christ in any way. And and I understand that in his position, you have to realize he was he was under constant threat of being killed and and probably being tortured and all kinds of things. So that naturally you would have some fear, and he wants to make sure he can hold up and not do anything that would <coughs> go against you know Jesus or the or the message, the gospel. <coughs> he wanted to make sure that in every way, everything he did supported the gospel. And he explains here, For to me, to live is Christ, 
He is my source of joy, my reason to live, and to die is gain, for I will be with him in eternity. If, however, it is to be life here, and I am to go on living, this will mean useful and productive service for me. So I do not know which to choose if I am given that choice. But I am hard-pressed between the two. I have the desire to leave this world and be with Christ, for that is far, far better. Yet to remain in my body is more necessary and essential for your sake. Since, <clears throat> pardon me, since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your rejoicing for me may overflow in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So here he is planning once he's not in prison anymore. He's planning, not planning, he's planning to go out and around to the different congregations and he's hoping to come back to Philippi again. I don't know if he ever gets to do that. Now here, he's going to change veins just a little bit. Verse 27, Only be sure to lead your lives in a manner that will be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I do come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one purpose, with one mind striving side by side, as if in combat for the faith of the gospel. Now this translation, I am reading the Amplified Bible again, and it says with one mind, but some say with one soul. It's, it's fine. That's, that, there's really no significant difference. Basically all in agreement, striving side by side, as if in combat for the faith of the gospel. That's how the Romans would be. They would be side by side in combat, the soldiers. So he's referring to that, that we would all be side by side fighting for the good of each other, you know. More in a spiritual way, of course. <clears throat> and in no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents, for such constancy and fearlessness on your part is a clear sign, a proof and a seal for them of their impending destruction, but a clear sign for you of deliverance and salvation, and that too from God. So when you're, you know, when we can... When we can be fearless and not alarmed or intimidated, when we can have that love and be working and, you know, fighting for the cause for each other, and I mean that in a spiritual way, then uh, that is, you know, when we can do that and not be afraid of what may come and what, what the worldly consequences may be, that is, that is a proof, that is a clear sign that of our faith in God and that of our deliverance and our salvation. And thus also it is a clear sign of, of the worldly being destroyed, destruction for, for that because we know that, you know, the worldly will end up being destroyed. It, they will not be present with God. Verse 29, For you have been granted the privilege for Christ's sake not only to believe and confidently trust in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so you are experiencing the same kind of conflict which you saw me endure and which you hear to be mine now. Now here, Paul is saying we've been given the privilege to not only believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. 
And sometimes, sometimes we do. Sometimes we have friends or family or even just acquaintances or folks at work or just people we know that, you know, they they don't like us or they don't uh, like the fact that we are Christian and we hold those beliefs and they, you know, maybe they persecute you in some manner. That's part of our, that's part of our suffering. Sometimes, sometimes the laws of the land are incorrect and not in God's, not in line with God's, God's law. And uh, sometimes that brings about some persecution on us and that can happen in many different places in the world. Uh, we're blessed that we do not have a lot of that here. Uh, mainly ours is more societal pressure. Uh, there are some legalities that have started that are a little weird, but uh, for the most part, you can ignore or avoid those. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a big deal. Nonetheless, um, also he mentions that you are experiencing the same kind of conflict you saw me endure. Well, now when Paul was in Philippi back in Acts, um, I don't remember exactly where. Let's see what this lists. This lists um, chapter 16, verses 19 through 40. Well, Paul and Silas, they were beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. So, and again, that's back in Acts chapter 16. You can find it there. It had a, it had a little note for me because I'm not good at remembering all that. I did remember, though, that, they, that he had been in prison there. Um, I didn't remember that he had been beaten, but, you know, Paul had a rough time. I mean, he got stoned one place, beaten another, whipped another. I mean, so, you know, it's hard to keep track. He, he did not have it easy. Um, all right, so, so they are responding, you know, they are experiencing some kind of persecution and conflict themselves. So, that's what he's mentioning here. So, he says, you are experiencing the same kind, kind of conflict which you saw me endure and which you hear to be mine now, because he is also back in prison in Rome. You know, of course, his imprisonment in Rome this time was not uh, was not so horrible. He was able to receive and write letters and have visitors, so it wasn't too bad for the times. I'm sure it still wasn't fun, but um, so that is the first chapter of Philippians. Basically, um, basically Paul explaining that to live. You know, for him to live is to live for Christ, to live for Jesus. That's uh, the source of his joy and the reason he lives. Um, that's probably my main takeaway from here, though he does have some other things, and he does instruct them to make sure they live, you know, lives in a manner that's worthy of a Christian. You know, being worthy of Christ to make sure that we, you know, live correctly. Now, he doesn't go into great detail. But he also urges them to be of one mind and fight that spiritual fight together. And then a lot of this is talking about his circumstances and how the gospel has been spread even through the Praetorian Guard where he is in prison. So <clears throat> that's very that's very good. It's an uplifting uh, thing. To, to let them know that that has happened, that the gospel is still being preached even though he's in prison, and that that has encouraged others. So it's it's very nice, and that's after he gets past his his initial um, 
uh, greeting and thankfulness to them and how he had heard good things about them so all right so that is philippians chapter one i kind of i kind of did a summary of the chapter backwards if you notice so i hope that's not too disconcerting but uh that's philippians chapter one um So I want to thank you for listening. I do hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, God loves you.